The following audio is from Downtown Church, a kingdom-focused, gospel-centered, multi-ethnic, multi-class ministry in Memphis, Tennessee. For more information, please visit downtownchurch.com. All right, today um, we'll be hearing from John 16, 4b through 15. I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you, but now I'm going to him who sent me, and none of you asked me, where are you going? But because I've said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer, concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. This is the word of the Lord. Amen, amen. Thank you. Good morning again, downtown church. Excited to approach um, God's word. Excited to be able to um, preach to you. Um, God's word um, this morning. And um, some of you uh, walked in a little um, after 1030, so y'all missed the exciting news this morning. But this morning we are celebrating um, Pastor Artez's birthday and our bass player birthday. So give it up for them real quick. Um, if you want to, if you want to send them a gift uh, through Cash App, you can um, Send it at, at, at Sir Gregory uh, Thornton, and um, I'll give it to them um, tax deductible as well. I'm just playing. I'm just playing. Um, but before I'm preaching God's word, would you just um, take a quick moment to pray with me as we um, ask God to focus our hearts and give us hearts that is ready to receive his word. Dear Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you for who you are. We thank you for remembering us by giving us your word. Lord, we thank you for your mercy. We thank you for your power. Lord, I truly pray that you remove all distractions, Lord, Holy Spirit, that you move in our hearts and allow us to receive your word, to truly hear it, and not just be hearers, but to be doers of your word. I pray this prayer right now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. A pregame speech... It's a speech that the coach gives right before you leave the locker room to take the field. And in this pregame speech, it's, it's given to, to encourage and inspire the players to muster up this passion and determination to give their all. This speech is what the coach gives to remove all doubts of losing and failure to replace those doubts with hope. This is the one point of the day, even if you the team that know y'all about to get killed, that pregame speech is the 32nd moment of the day where you have a brief moment of hope. 
thinking that you can win. And I played football um, four years in high school and four years in college. So in my day, I have heard many pregame speeches, some good and um, some terrible. The worst pregame speech I, I ever heard, I have to tell y'all, it came my junior year in college. All summer, we worked out knowing that we was going to Oregon, and they were at the time the number three team in the country, and they had a Heisman winner named Marcus Mariota. And the whole world knew that the University of Oregon was going to kill, demolish Arkansas State. But, oh, we, we didn't believe that. We worked all summer working. We, we, we gave our all every day in the hot heat. We worked knowing that we're going to shock the world. They don't believe us, but we believe us. We're going to shock the world. And the first game of the season that Saturday came and, we got to Oregon, and we got to the locker room. We had brand-new jerseys. We was like, ooh, we, we going to look good, shocking the world. We got fully dressed, and, I, and the moment of truth came, the pregame speech. And no lie, this is the exact words my coach said. He said, guys, gather around. Gather in close. Listen here. This man, these bunch of guys that are real about to play, they're faster than you. They're stronger than you. They're bigger. They're better. If we have any shot to win, you have to do exactly what I coach you to do. And I remember, you know, going from, let's go, let's go. And I looked at my teammate, and I said, bro, we suck. <laughs> and in that exact moment, our, our entire team was defeated and deflated. And I argue that that is the worst speech in history. But as we look at John 16, some of you might argue that Jesus actually gave the worst pregame speech. If you have been following us throughout the last couple of weeks, you remember that Jesus' crucifixion is imminent. And he is currently preparing his disciples to live in a world in his absence. He's preparing them to carry on the mission if, um, and his purpose. So we would hope that Jesus' pregame speech might sound something like this. Guys, you got this. You won't lose. The world is going to love you. We would think that Jesus would say that if you believe in me, if you place your faith in me, you will not experience any hardships. But instead, Jesus says, the world will hate you. If you follow me, you will be persecuted. Oh, yeah, I, I almost forgot some of y'all might even get killed. Oh, last but not least, even though you're about to suffer all of these persecutions and hardships, the cherry on top is I'm not going to be here with you. And I can just imagine Peter saying, hold on, God, hold on, Jesus. I can endure these hardships, but I cannot endure you not being with me. And just like that, these disciples are defeated and deflated. Romans 6 tells us that sorrow and grief filled their hearts. And honestly, I believe that this is a common place that many Christians find themselves Many of us at some point in our walks with Christ have also felt deflated and defeated for different reasons. I had a tough conversation with someone who I love dearly just this past Monday, and they said to me, I pray and I pray and I cry out to God over and over, but God just seems to be so quiet. 
I don't want to hear you give me no Bible verse. I know everything you're going to say about the Bible. I know God loves me. I know he's supposed to be everything I need, but I just don't know if I believe that right now because nothing in life is going my way. I'm defeated. I heard even different people say, I used to believe in God and the church, but I continue to see trusted pastor after trusted pastor have sexual felons. My denomination is guilty of racism and sexual abuse. I don't want anything to do with this. I am defeated. And if I can be honest and speak for myself, um, I have even felt defeated here at downtown church. As we continue to and pray to work to be a cross-ethnic, cross-class, cross-cultural church, sometimes, if I'm honest, I just feel like the history of this nation, the past and current trauma just seems too much to overcome. It's, it seems like we have been segregated by hate and grief for so long that sometimes it just feels impossible to do, to accomplish our vision. I feel defeated. And on our journey with the Lord, even though we believe in God and our hope is in Jesus, we all may have a moment, a moment or sometimes moments where we all find ourselves feeling this defeat. But the good news this morning and the main thought that I want to explain to you is that Jesus knows the hardships that we will face. So he sends the spirit of God to act as our help and guide. Jesus knows and he's aware of the pain, the suffering, the persecution, the heartaches, so he doesn't leave us alone, but he sends his spirit to act as our helper and our guide. And the main application I have this morning is that because the spirit is our guide and help, we are to position ourselves in a place where we can listen to the spirit. And this morning, I only have three questions that I want to answer. I want to answer the question, why did Jesus leave and send his spirit? What is the purpose of the Spirit, and how do we hear the Spirit? So question number one, why did Jesus leave and send his Spirit? Look again at verse 5 with me. Jesus said, now I'm going to him who sent me, and none of you ask me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go away, I will send him to you. Jesus, the Son of Man who left the throne room of heaven, took on flesh, flesh, was a helpless baby, and spent 33 years living amongst mankind is getting ready to go back to God the Father. And because of this imminent departure, his disciples are filled with sorrow, and this word sorrow here can also be described filled with grief, um, um, heavy anxiety, and deep worry. So the disciples are deeply worried, rightly so. Jesus was their friend, their leader, their God, their teacher, and now Jesus is leaving them. This bunch of men left everything they had in order to follow Jesus, and now Jesus is saying, bye-bye, I'm leaving you. The title of this sermon is Good News That Sounds Bad because because it sounds bad that Jesus is leaving us, but Jesus is actually saying it's good news. Because when I leave you, it's better for me that I leave you because in my physical absence, I'm going to send you my spirit who will be with you forever. I will send you the helper. So what is or who is this helper? 
The word helper actually comes from the Greek word paraclete, which at its core means to come alongside and help. It's where we get the English word paramedic, a person who comes alongside and help. It's where we get the word paralegal, a person who comes alongside and help. I think it's where we get the word parachute, you know, a per- comes alongside and help us land safe and sound. And Jesus says, I will send you this paraclete as your helper, and this helper is the Holy Spirit. And this might not sound like good news yet because many of us might not be too aware of the Holy Spirit. But let me tell you about the Spirit real quick. We first see the Spirit in Genesis chapter 1. It says God's Spirit was hovering over the face of the water waiting to be directed to do its work in creating and sustaining this world. We then see the Spirit of God begin to empower different people to carry out God's purposes and will. The Spirit filled up Moses and Joshua as they led Israel. The Spirit filled up Bezalel to build God's um, um, tent so God could dwell with his people. The Spirit filled up David that that looked shuffleable so he could defeat his enemies. All throughout the Old Testament, we see the Spirit of God fill God's people to carry out God's work and mission. But there was just one problem. This feeling was only for a specific person and for a temporary time. But here, Jesus says that when I leave you, I'm not leaving you alone. But when I leave you, I'm going to send my spirit there. If you have placed your faith in me, if you truly follow me, I am sealing you with the Holy Spirit who will never leave you, who will never forsake you. It's better for Jesus to leave So we can be fully, so God can fully be with us at all times. And I want to ask you a serious question. Do you believe that? Do you believe that if you have placed your faith in Jesus, the spirit of the living God is dwelling in you at this very moment? I, if I'm honest, I found myself saying oftentimes, man, I wish I lived back in Jesus' day. I wish I could see Jesus with my own two eyes. Then I really would struggle with my faith. Sometimes when I begin to feel the faith um, defeated and deflated, I think to myself, and I pray, God, if I could just, like Thomas, touch your hands and see you with my own two eyes, then everything will be okay. But Jesus' response to me and you in this moment is that I have gifted you with something far better than my physical presence. I have gifted you with the Spirit of God who in your weaknesses gives you the power, the strength, the comfort, the help. Everything that you need is with you. But far too often as believers, we live our lives unaware of the Spirit's presence and power. And all too often we have the source of life And we live deflated lives, not acknowledging the source of our power. Um, There's a story. There was this man who who chopped down trees with an axe for a living. He was chopped down about four or five trees a day. But then this new invention came out. Y'all might have heard it. A chainsaw. And he couldn't wait to go to the store to, to, to search and look into what this chainsaw is all about. And the salesman says, sir, I guarantee you, if you buy this chainsaw, you will easily cut down 50 trees a day. 
the man immediately bought it. He couldn't wait to get home to test it out. And the very next day, he was seen walking back in the store, and he placed a chainsaw on the counter, and he said, this junk does not work. The salesman said, um, okay, let me take a look at it. He, he grabbed the chainsaw, said it has oil inside. It, it has gas. Everything appears to be right. Back up a little bit. I'm going to test it out myself. And he pulled the cord, and voila. The chainsaw came on. And the man looked surprised. He said, what's this noise that this chainsaw is making? The man took the chainsaw home but didn't even know that he had to turn it on. And just like that, similarly, a lot of Christians, we don't understand the power and the presence of what we really have in this spirit that God has sent us. Paul says in Romans chapter 8 that the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses, even when we don't know what to pray, the Spirit says, don't worry, man, I got you. I'm going to pray to God on, on your behalf. Paul, Isaiah 11 says that, that the Holy Spirit is the spirit of knowledge, wisdom, and understanding. Paul told Timothy that the Holy Spirit is not a spirit that, that, that makes you live in fear, but it's a spirit of power, love, and self-control. Jesus says, the same spirit that raised me from the dead is the same spirit that now dwells inside of you. Do you believe that? The same spirit that came over Samson, giving him the power to destroy a lion with his bare hands, is the same spirit that has now come into every believer that gives us the power to defeat that prowling lion named Satan who is looking to kill, steal, and destroy everything around us. Satan is looking to steal our joy. He's looking to kill our hope and looking to destroy our future. And God says, greater is he that is in you than is he that is in the world. So to answer the question, why did Jesus leave and send his spirit? Jesus left and sent his spirit so that you and I may have full access to the power needed to live out God's will for our lives. But in order to live out God's will for our lives, in order to access this power, we need to know the purpose of the Spirit. And Jesus tells us plainly what the Spirit has come to do. Look at verse 8 with me. And when he comes, being the Holy Spirit, will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is just. Jesus gives us three purposes of the Spirit right here. Purpose number one, the Holy Spirit comes to expose our sin. The Holy Spirit exposes our sin. Jesus said that he will come that when he comes, the Spirit will convict the world concerning sin. Um, I once heard someone say the root of all sin is unbelief. And I believe that we sin because we don't believe that God is good or that a life outside of God's will is better. And due to our unbelief, we are both spiritually blind and spiritually dead. And even though our sin never satisfies and continues to disappoint us, we are blind from seeing any other path. So we find ourselves in these same life and these same life cycles. But the good news is that the Spirit has come to expose us to 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 open up blind eyes, to give blind eye sight. 
And this may not be um, news to you, but I want you to know that you did not choose God. In John 15, 16, just last chapter, Jesus told us himself that, hey, you didn't choose me, but in fact, I chose you. You did not choose to believe on your own, but the Spirit of God first came to you, opened up your heart to hear the gospel, gave you the sight to see the love of God and the faith in the first place to believe. And even now as you are still walking with Christ, it's still not you choosing God, but as my brother Artez said a couple of weeks ago, it's not you sticking with God, but it's God sticking with you. It's the Spirit of God that came upon you, gave you sight to see, and it's the Spirit of God that continues to guide you as you continue to walk with God. And, and, and I believe this is a word to, to some parents right now because I've talked with a number of you, and, and you feel this pressure, this burden and your greatest desire is for your child to love Jesus, for your child to place their faith in Jesus. And now you are living with this constant burden of being a perfect parent so your child won't call you a hypocrite and walk away from God. Or you are being that burden trying to put all of this pressure on your child to make them live a certain way, but you are even more frustrated because you learn more and more that you can't control your child. And the good news is that the Spirit of God don't need you to be a perfect model. The Spirit of God don't need you to save your child, but the Spirit of God is the one who, who in the first place, comes upon us, opens up our heart, opens up our eyes, gives us sight to see who God truly is. It's the Spirit of God that exposes our sin, allowing us to believe in the first place. So, so what do we do instead when we have a loved one or a best friend who is addicted to a life of sin? We don't beat them up with the Bible trying to make them believe what we believe, but we commit ourselves to praying that God's Spirit come upon them the same way God's Spirit came upon us. That's purpose number one, to expose our sin. And purpose number two, the Holy Spirit shows us how to live righteous lives. Think about it. Jesus for three years have walked with the disciples. He, he was the one teaching them how to love their neighbor and showed them how to live righteous lives. But now in their absence, they are charged with building a church. And keep in mind, these 11 men were not the most impressive group of men. Um, they weren't seminary trained or even top-level CEOs. They weren't impressive leaders by our standards. But they were the leaders of the greatest revolutionary in the history of this world. Think about it. We are sitting here in this, this, this gem of a church right now, not because of Richard Reeves having the vision to start a church, but we are sitting here because these 11 men carried on the work of the Lord. But these men didn't do this in their own strength, out of their own will, but they were led by the Spirit. God, Jesus teaches us that even in my absence, it's the Spirit that's going to come upon you, giving you the faith to believe in me, but it's the Spirit of God that will continue to guide you and keep you. That will direct yourself, show you how to live a righteous life. And I believe um, this is scientifically proven, but I believe we all have had those moments where, where somebody offended us and we was about to, you know, 
say some words maybe that we would regret later, but we something in us just pulled our hearts and made us be quiet. Or maybe you walked in the coffee room at work and you was about to say something about somebody behind their back and something in you stopped you and said, no, 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 don't do that. Maybe you was at Starbucks and you just saw someone and, and something in you said, just ask this person how they're doing. And, 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 and after you began to talk with them, this person later said, you know what, um, I was really having a rough day, but, but even you simply asking me about my day just really was what I needed. I believe that the Spirit of God, even in our everyday moments of our life, leads us, instructs us, and guides us, and keeps us on the path of righteousness for his name's sake. And purpose number three, the Holy Spirit reminds us that our enemy is defeated and victory is ours. I might preach right here. Yeah, I might get happy. I got happy the first time I saw this in the Word. The Holy Spirit reminds us that the enemy is defeated and the victory is ours. Jesus said the Spirit will convict the world concerning judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. The ruler of this world is judged. Another way to say this is that the ruler of this world is condemned and defeated. And this might sound weird to you because many of us know God is the ruler of the world. So how is God going to be judged, condemned, and defeated? But actually, in many places, Satan, our great enemy, um, um, is referred to as the ruler of this world. Three chapters earlier, John chapter 12, Jesus says the ruler of this world being Satan will be cast out. Paul said in Ephesians chapter 2 that Satan is the prince of the power of this air. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, Paul said that Satan is the god of this world, blinding the minds of, of unbelievers. So Jesus recognizes Satan as a real threat and real opposition to the life of believers. Jesus knows the trouble that Satan, our opposition, our enemy, is going to throw in his disciple lives. But Jesus gives them the best news yet. Jesus declares victory over the enemy. What's amazing is that Jesus said, Satan, the ruler of this world, is judged. And in the English language, we have three tenses, past, present, and future. Come and the, but the Greek language has something that the English language don't have. It has something called the perfect tense. And the perfect tense refers to that being said in completion. It's the tense of completion. So when I'm describing something, the perfect tense means it's already done. It's already been completed. So Jesus speaking in the perfect tense said, the ruler of this world is already judged. He's already defeated. And when I was in my study, I said, hold on, Jesus. You haven't even got to the cross yet. You haven't even started the game yet. We still in the locker room and in the locker room, even though Jesus said this bunch of guys is bigger than you, they stronger than you, they faster than you, you ain't got a word about it because I already won the battle for you. That if you have placed your faith in me, you are walking in victory. That if you have, that if you have placed your faith in me, you have the Spirit of God that, that the Satan, the ruler of this world, cannot overcome. In fact, before we step foot out of this locker room, go ahead and take your pads off because the game is already over. 
That's what Jesus is saying here. The ruler of this world is condemned. The Holy Spirit exposes our sin, calling us, drawing us to God, giving us the faith to believe, giving us the, giving us the ability to now say, I don't want this, I don't want to live like this no more. And then the Holy Spirit guides us on our new journey, showing us how to live, showing us what not to do, showing us how to truly love our neighbor. And then when times get rough, the Holy Spirit reminds us that we already have the victory. And the last question I want to briefly answer is, how do we hear this spirit? Many of us, as we talked to Sunday school this morning, we even confess we grew up in the church that kind of shunned away from the spirit. You know, the, those Pentecostalists over there, we don't want to, like, the spirit kind of makes us nervous, so we have created a faith of um, not learning how to listen or depending on the Spirit. So how do we do this in the first place? I'm not the, um, I don't feel the most equipped to give a lecture on listening to the Spirit, but I believe we see something very important in Jesus' words right here. In verse 13, he says, when the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he would not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak and will declare to you the things that are to come. The Holy Spirit will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. So Jesus simply says that the Spirit will guide you into what is really true. The Spirit will show you what is truth in this world full of counterfeits. And Jesus said he is the way and the truth, and his Spirit will lead us and speak to us what is true. So how do we place ourselves, put ourselves in, in, in a position to truly hear from the Spirit of God? I only have two ways that I want to present to you this morning. And the first way is we study and meditate on God's word. And that might not sound, and you might be like, how are you getting reading the Bible from listening to the Spirit? See, God has chosen to communicate to people, to us, through other people, and sometimes even dreams. But the fact of the matter is God has preserved his word for us through thousands of years, instructing us how to live, teaching us what we need to know about him and what we need to do to accomplish his will. That's found in God's word. So how do we know the spirit speaks to us through his word? Because 2 Peter, Peter actually told us that when men wrote the scripture, it wasn't men writing, but it was the Holy Spirit actually writing through men. So when we sit down and study and meditate on God's word, God actually speaks to us his truth through his word. We don't read the Bible because we have to, but we read the Bible as we, as you many, as many of you already know, to really hear from God. And the second way um, might be uncomfortable for some of us, but it's sitting in silence. A man interviewed Mother. Teresa, and he said, you have 
seen many great things happen in your life. Many of your prayers have been answered. You must have an amazing prayer life. Can you tell us how do you pray to God? What do you pray? And Mother Teresa said, um, I don't talk to God. I just listen. And the man said, oh, wow, God speaks to you? Oh, what does God say when you pray? And she said, he doesn't talk. He listens. I sit in silence. And Mother Teresa taught that sometimes God speaks to us in the silent moments of our lives, in the everyday moment of our lives. But I sometimes think um, our problem is, isn't that God isn't speaking, but we are too busy moving from place to place, errand to errand, waking up, getting the kids, getting our coffee, packing up their lunch, getting to school, going to work. We are too busy to hear that quiet, still voice of God. And not only are we too busy, but we have too many voices already speaking to us in the first place. Um, I even find myself waking up, instead of sitting down with God, I say, I'm going to just turn on some worship music or I'm going to turn on a sermon. I'm going to hear somebody else tell me about God. But, but I, I'm, even though those things are good, I can still miss out on me hearing God's voice, hearing the Spirit of God speak to me because I'm afraid to sit down in the silence. And I want to encourage you and maybe even challenge you this week, even if you do have four to ten kids in your house and your house is never quiet, I still want to encourage you, even when you're driving to work, turn off the radio and just be. Ask God to speak to you and, and see what happens. And as I close, um, we are bombarded with weekly news. This week I saw the scandal of the elected officials stealing money from those who, who needed it. Um, I saw um, news reports of innocent boys and girls killed. I, um, even us, as we tried to um, um, just be there for streets as, as they had their incident this week, we, we, all, we are always seeing and feeling the bad news, but I want to remind us of the good news. As I close, that Jesus has sent us his spirit to be our helper and our guide. And no matter what we face, we have a comforter, a way maker, a chain breaker, and a friend who, will power, and who has given us the power to overcome and walk in victory. Let's pray. Dear God, we truly um, thank you for the spirit. We thank you, Lord, that... Your word tells us that we have been sealed with the spirit and this spirit will not depart from us until you come back and grab us. Lord, we thank you, Lord, that the presence of the spirit reminds us that we have an inheritance in, in heaven being kept for us right now. Lord, I don't know who needs to hear this, but I, I don't know who feels defeated or deflated right now. But I truly pray, Lord, that you restore all of our souls. Give us the peace, give us the joy, give us the strength to live, to leave this building today on fire, excited, and, and joy-filled because we know that you are with us. I pray this prayer and ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Great is the Lord. Great is the Lord. Um, before we um, leave this place, just want to 
uh, remind you that Restore Court, uh, our mission our partner, actually has a table right outside. So um, please um, stop by, introduce yourself, and, and just even learn more about what they are doing and maybe how you can um, step in and help. And uh, last but not least, um, we are down our um, teardown team, so please stack up um, um, all of the chairs. And if you have it in your heart and in your soul and body, um, please um, stick around just to see how you can um, further provide your um, assistance. Um, but without further ado, please receive the Lord's blessing. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace today and forevermore. Be blessed, downtown church.